Now, waiting for an arrival may conjure up for you and me this morning, and maybe based on the video we just saw, some messianic thoughts. Um, But if I'm honest with you, the season of Advent, the season of waiting for me growing up, uh, I wasn't really waiting that much for a Messiah. I was waiting for somebody else. If you grew up in a house like mine, we made much. I mean, we made a lot to do, and to this day we still do, even in my own home, about a certain Christmas arrival. I mean, we counted down the days to his arrival, because his arrival was important. We had a little thing on the wall, and every day you opened a little thing, and it was, you know, my, we, we still do this with our kids. They open, there's a little candy in there, because there's a big arrival coming, and you need to count the days down. And then just to be certain that that arrival would meet all our expectations, we would make pilgrimages, you know, to the holy Mecca of the one of whom, whose arrival we would wait. And that was the courtyard of the local mall. And we, when we got there, we would wait in a long line and we would sit on his lap and we would make specific requests concerning this much, much anticipated visit. This arrival was greeted with such anticipation that the evening before this hopeful journey journey would find its completion, my mom would every year line us up and take pictures of the look of Advent. Would you like to see pictures of the look of Advent? Here they are. That's a young John Eisman over there in the football pajamas. Always an athlete, I want to remind you, even down to then. And you see on everybody but maybe my one brother's face, this look of uh, expectation. He probably knew we'd take his toys. Uh, This look of expectation and anticipation about what was coming. I mean, my brothers and sisters, man, we pined for him. We left out carrots and, and cookies for his pleasure because finally, after opening all of those doors of our 70s-era Advent calendar, finally, after 25 days, and I mean, your kids will tell you, these 25 days, these seem like 25 years, right? I mean, the summer seems to go by in about an hour and a half, and when your kid, December just lingers. But finally, finally, on December 25th, the object of, of everything I've looked for, of my admiration, of my desire, it, it, it appeared. And you know what appeared every year, year after year? The advent, the waiting, it always paid off on Christmas. I never went to bed once in that advent season and say, you know, shoot, not this year. Because there was always a bounty of gifts under the tree. Now, if you grew up like me, then you know, especially now as I get older, that, and I look back on those days, there is something about the waiting. Maybe it's not even the waiting. Maybe it's it's the thrill of the waiting. Because I waited with such certainty, there was something thrilling about the buildup and the expectation of Christmas coming. I remember a couple years ago, I went, Caroline, my youngest, was young, and I went into her room, and on Christmas night, and she was crying. This kid had more gifts, she could barely find room in her bed, right? And she's crying, and I said, Caroline, why are you crying? And through her tears, she said, because it's over. Because the thrill of hope had disappeared. But there was nothing more thrilling than the hope. For you, for your kids, if you have kids, many of you know that that dynamic still holds, still, uh, holds true. For them, this month, it's already it's going so slow, but it's nonetheless thrilling because they have hope for the day. And maybe for you and maybe for lots of us in our world this morning, it's a little different. 
because the thrill and maybe the hope is gone. And so I want each of you to understand this morning is that that exact same dynamic that you might be feeling in your home as you gather around a TV and watch what played itself out this week in California, that, that dynamic of waiting, that dynamic of potential thrill, that dynamic of lost hope, those dynamics, those same ones which are likely alive in your heart right now are the same exact ones that were at work. They're the exact same feelings that were at work that very first Christmas. For many, many years in the history of people who follow God up until that first Christmas, there had been over a generation, a remnant, just a handful, a small few relative to what had been there of people who waited every single day, who got up, believe it or not, with the thrill of hope, with the thrill of expectation that today could be the day that Messiah came. It could be today. And as a result, because they believed it could be today, because they had such hope and thrill over that hope, they lived in this obedience to God like none other. But unlike our Christmas morning, which arrives with great certainty year after year after year, for this remnant, this wait went on for generation after generation after generation after generation after generation, and nothing happened. Decade after decade after decade after decade. Most of them that waited, most of them that lived their lives in obedience, most of them never saw the day. No fulfillment. Not for a nation, not for a people who had so much faith, but who over time, over the generations, many, many of them just began to peel away. They just began to say, I guess it's not going to happen. I guess we misunderstood the story. I mean, over time, see, this is, you got to enter this story. Over time, how long can you wait? I mean, how long can you, can you dedicate your life to something where there's just no answer? That first Christmas season, people, maybe like this Christmas season, began to look at the world around them, began to look at their own situations, what was going on in their own lives, in their own homes, in their own hearts, and they began to go, I don't think this is going to work out. I'm not sure why I'm believing all the stuff I believe anymore because if I'm honest, I don't see itself playing out out there, in here, or in here. I mean, if you're in ancient Israel, it's been 400 years since anybody's heard a peep even from a prophet. I mean, how long are you going to wait? When does this story grow old? You going to keep living this way? And so that's why this morning I want to introduce to you two people who chose to live that way. Their names were Zachariah and Elizabeth. They're, they're not familiar stories to the Christmas story. If, if you're not a church person, you're not going to find them in your manger set at home. But their story is your story. It's our story. It's this story. This morning, uh, this story has the potential to reveal so much to us because at some point in your Christian walk, in your Christian experience, at some point in our world, maybe even this week with all the craziness, at some point in your pain and the loss and the disappointment in life, at some point, if you're honest, you will get to a place, I have gotten to a place where you say, God, you just seem to be so quiet, so inactive, so silent that you're going to get yourself to a place where maybe some people start to whisper into your ears, maybe spiritual forces are at work, and you start to say, 
Why do I believe this again? Because I don't see it working out in my own life. I just don't see it. Why am I believing this anymore? What am I doing? Why don't I just live life the way everybody else is living their life? I mean, why don't I, why don't I just leave her? Why don't I just stay with him for the night? Why do I keep giving my money away? Why, why do I keep serving all of these people? They don't seem to appreciate it. Nobody notices. And my mother told me that if I did things right, right would come back. It doesn't seem to come back. Maybe I should start spending a little more time on myself and caring a little bit less. I mean, why am I doing all this? Why am I doing all this? My, my husband doesn't love me. My kids don't respect me. My boss is on the verge of firing me. Why? Why am I living this way? I mean, is this story, is this story even true? This is an old story. Maybe I just believe it because my mom and dad told me it. Maybe I just believe it because I'm afraid if I don't believe it, something bad's going to happen to me. Maybe I'm just involved in a big, giant, superstitious lie anyway. Maybe my friends are right and I'm the crazy one. And the truth is, all of us have seasons or years at some point where we say, I can't, I, I'm not getting anything out of this. It's not working for me. See, the preacher promised this would work for me. It's not working for me. I've had those seasons. I've had those days. And if you've ever had that day, if you've ever said, you know, this doesn't seem to be working for me, the Christmas story is your story. It's your story. It's my story. It's for a people like you and me. Let's jump into it. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. Luke, he's this physician, and he wants to write this, this very historical account of what's going on in, in, in the life of Jesus so that others would believe. And, and here is this historical account as he lays it out. He says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. And what did this mean? This mean they came from the priestly line in Israel. It means that they were preacher's kids. And we, we know about preacher's kids, right? Uh, anybody ever go to school with the preacher's kid? The preacher's kid is the bad kid, all except mine, mind you. The preacher's kid is usually the bad kid. He's the wild kid. He doesn't listen. He's trying to rebel. But not these two. Not these two. Despite the fact that their grandfather and their grandfather before him and their grandfather before him were holy men and righteous men, they chose to follow in that same line. The scripture says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God and they observed all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Luke is saying these two were the real deal. They were, they were righteous and blameless. They followed all the rules. They believed in honoring God. And listen, you know, you know the, the scriptures. There's more than 10 commandments they were following. They were in the 600s. They're following all the rules because they wanted to live blamelessly before God. And why, why would anybody do this? I mean, it's been hundreds of years. The scripture teaches it's because they believe the story of their people. They had believed and come to believe is true an often repeated promise of God. And so despite that it had been so long since God had done anything tangible for the nation of Israel, maybe 700 years, these two, Zechariah and Elizabeth, got up every morning like it was Christmas Eve. Today is the day that Messiah might come. Now, if you live like this, then in this world, in the world they lived in, you're going to have some folks that are going to come along to you and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? 
Why do you live like this? How's it working out for you? How's all that obedience, all that party skipping, all that honesty at work, all that giving your money away, how's that all working for you? The story goes on, Luke 1, 7. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Well, that's not the story you're supposed to hear, right? I mean, they're righteous and they're blameless. God's supposed to come through for them. I mean, they wanted a kid. We found out later they were praying for a kid and they couldn't conceive the child, something I know so many of us have struggled with in our relationships and our marriages. But it was much more than that. In this culture in which they lived, the woman was to blame for this. As many of you know, in this culture, women were not allowed to work. Women were not allowed to be educated. Women had primarily one purpose in this first century culture, really until Christ comes on the scene and starts to change some of that. They had one purpose, and it was to bear children. And since science didn't understand how that was going on in that day and age, the real test to see if you were blessed by God as a woman was if you bore a child. Then God, then God said you were good. Then God blessed you. Then God said you were right. And if you didn't bear a child, there was something wrong. It was a shame upon you. How's it working out for Zachariah and Elizabeth? Blameless? Righteous? 60, 70 years of serving God? No child. So why did they do it? Well, their faithfulness to God seems as if it's based on something beyond their own experience, based on this promise that was made to God's people almost from the beginning of time. Many of you know the first messianic uh, promises of God, the first time that God says, I'm not going to allow this to stand, happens so much earlier than most of us realize. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis, in the third chapter, right after man falls, God comes onto the scene. You know, you know the story? The man has been deceived by, by, by Satan, who's in, in this form of a serpent. And God comes on the scene, and in Genesis 3.15, this is the promise that he makes. I will put enmity between you, Satan the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. This is the only time where there's women that are spoken of as having offspring. Men, men are always responsible for the term offspring. This is the only time. Why? Because there's a virgin birth coming sometime down the road. right? Between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike your heel. And at that moment, as described by Moses, as handed down from father to son around campfires for generations, right at that moment, God says, into your mess, into the fall, into the depravity, into the disappointment, into the discouragement, I'm telling you, I'm going to send one. There is a plan afoot. It's going to fix all of this. And the story plays out, and God comes to a man named Abraham, right? And Abraham, who, who is, is in some sense in the line, the father of Zechariah and Elizabeth, many generations removed. God comes to Abraham in Genesis 12, and he says, here's part of the plan. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a blessing. Many of us know who Abraham is, so his name is great. Many of us know that, that Israel did enjoy at one point this, this great nationhood. And he says, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And all of the peoples on earth are going to be blessed through you. Well, that's a pretty good promise. That might be a reason to get up every day if you're Zachariah and Elizabeth and say, you know what? God has made this promise to me and my people. I'm going to walk in it because I believe in it. Here's the only problem with that promise. It had been 2,000 years since that promise had been made. 2,000. 
1,000 years. About the same amount of time since Jesus was here. I mean, some of this had played itself out. Some of the promise had been true. But, but we also know that, the, that most of it hadn't happened. I mean, Abraham had a son who had a son who had a son. And over time, you know, the Israelites did become this nation. And they were taken into Egypt. And they were turned out of Egypt into the promised land. And over time, God, out of this nation, built this incredible kingdom just as it had been promised. They became powerful and rich, and they had armies and lands, and, and kings sprung up. And this is where King David comes, and Solomon, the richest, most powerful, most wise person on the face of the earth, he's ruling in Israel. And if you're ever going to, if there's going to be a time where God is going to bless the nations through Israel, this is going to be the time. This is when all of the wise men would gather and say, now it's come to its fulfillment. Now the Messiah would come. But that's not what happened if you know the story. That just when they were at their precipice of power and influence, something happens. After Solomon and the nation splits, there's wars, and over time, Israel not only loses its power and its land, but it begins to unwind, unwind morally and ethically and as a people group. In fact, from the time that Solomon uh, reigned to the time of Zechariah and Elizabeth, I, I, I heard this over the weekend, Israel had been conquered and overrun 25 times. Yet they got up every morning, believing in the promise of God. It didn't make any sense. We no longer have any power, authority, kings, rulers, or land. But they got up every morning, and they believed, they thrilled at the hope of the promise of God. But the promise kept coming to God's people. I mean, some of you know, into the midst of, of, of the horror, things, the prophet Isaiah would rise up. And in Isaiah chapter 9, he says, he, he starts to speak of this one to come. He says, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government is going to be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the, uh, of the greatness of his reign, there'll be no end. He'll reign on David's throne and, and over his kingdom. He'll establish it with justice and righteousness of it from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplishment, accomplish this. The psalmist would say, may his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. And again, here's the promise again sometime later. All the nations are going to be blessed through him and they'll be called blessed. And in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament... Malachi says, I'm going to send my messenger who will prepare the way before you, and then the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant. This is this prophetic thing about this Messiah, whom you desire. He'll come. But something happened after Malachi. You know what happened after Malachi? Nothing. For 400 years. I mean, if a generation is 20 years, this is grandmas, 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 grandmas. This is way back. Nothing for 400 years. Not a peep, not a word. Silence. And what began to happen in Israel is that for many of them, the idea of this promise becomes a joke. You see, they don't have any wealth anymore. They don't have an army anymore. They don't have any land. They have no status. They've been overrun 25 times, and the latest is by this Roman crowd who's particularly brutal in their rule. And then 
the ultimate insult. In 65 BC, the Roman general Pompey, he rolls into town. He goes into the Jewish high temple. He goes, walks right past the priests. He goes into the very holy of holies, where only the priest was allowed to go one year, and the punishment for anybody going in was that they would die. Pompey walks right through everybody into the Holy of Holies, hangs out in the Holy of Holies for a while, walks out alive. And you had to see the priests gasping, wondering, what the heck have I given my life to? Maybe the Roman god Jupiter is stronger than the the god that we serve. And, And around this time, it's likely that Zechariah's father is serving and working in the temple. And so Zechariah knows this story. It's been told to him. He knows, the, he knows the temple's been desecrated. He knows that, that the Romans ignored the traditions. And, and he knows that God did nothing. And you know what he still chose to do? He still chose to hope. Yes, many of the followers of the Jews turned away, of God turned away. For them, not only was the thrill gone, the hope was gone. You know, people must have been coming up to Zechariah and Elizabeth going, you realize this is over, right? Didn't your father tell you what Pompeii did in the temple? Don't you see what the Romans are doing with all the crosses on the outskirts of town? You see the wars and the famines and the hunger and the sickness? See, it's not much different than what you and I see right now. I mean, do you see the wars and the famines and the hunger and the sickness? You see what's happened in the temple? What are you doing? Give it up. You you, you don't have a lot of time left. You wasted most of your life. Go have some fun. Go do something. Keep your stuff. He's not coming through for you. It's been 400 years. And this is why this story, this is why Luke writes this story. This is why this story is included before we even get to a manger. This is because it's written for people like you and I. Because I fear that you and I might be losing a little hope. See what happens with our kids. We see what happens in our church. We see what happens in our country. We see what happens in our own souls. The discouragements pile up. The frustrations, the abandonment, and we start to wonder. I mean, if you're a human being, you just have to wonder. God, do you see any of this, God? Do you see any of it? Are you going to do anything about it? Are you there? I mean, do you even care? And this is the message of Christmas. It's the answer to your question. It's the reason the story of Zechariah Elizabeth is placed where it is. Luke chapter 1, verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot. That's how they would decide. They believed God was in the choosing of the lots. According to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. This is a high honor for Zechariah. He may never have done it before. He was going to get to go in right to before where the Holy of Holies was, right outside of that area. And as he goes in, and as all the, other, all the other priests are praying, the scripture says, an angel of the Lord appears to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled, and he was gripped with fear. And the angel said to him, and if you've read any angel stories in the scripture, the angels always start with kind of their same, their same pickup line, right? Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth, see, they've been praying about this. 
for a long time. Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to bear a son, and you're going to call him John. It's going to be John the Baptist. And he's going to be a joy and a delight to you, and many are going to rejoice because of his birth. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's not going to take any wine or other fermented drink. He'll be filled instead with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. And look at this. This is, this is the great verse here, right? In Luke 1.16, he will bring many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And why does he need to bring the people back? Because they left. They gave up. They had enough. It's been 400 years. There wasn't a, a word. This is the story of Christmas. To a people who had seen enough and seen too little, for them, 400 years of silence. See, I don't know what it's been for you. I don't know what it's been for you. But I do know I, I, I unfortunately make a regular habit of sitting with parents who have lost sons and daughters. I do know that it's a regular habit for me to sit with people who have significant illnesses. I do know it's a regular habit for me to sit with marriages that are unwinding. I do know that it's a regular um, habit for me to sit with people who have lost their jobs and have no way to pay their mortgage. And I know for many of them, they get to a point and they go, I just hear silence. I just keep hearing silence. This is the message of Christmas. The question of Christmas is, are you still there? Do you, do you still care? Are you, are you going to do anything about this? story goes on, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife, this is the diplomacy of the scripture here, gentlemen, right? I got to be careful with this. It's also my wife's birthday too, right? Uh, my wife is well along in years. Is the Bible just keeping it real, right? Like if you're not getting this, you should start to figure this one out. There's, a, you know, there's something going on here and Zechariah is going, I got to be honest with you. This is not going to happen. You must be talking to the wrong guy. Let me explain what happened to you. See, in our 20s, we really wanted to have kids. We wanted to, you know, my dad was a priest, and I was going to be a priest, and my son was going to be a priest. But in our 20s, we prayed, and nothing happened. And in our 30s, uh, we were still praying in our 30s, but, you know, we started to see some, some, some doctors in town. He prescribed some herbs and stuff, and nothing seemed to be happening. And then we got into our 40s, and, I mean, we didn't give up. We kept praying in our 40s. But, you know, the people in town started to say some rough stuff about Elizabeth, and, and they started to accuse her and I of maybe, of maybe doing some things. But we didn't listen to them. We just kept praying. I mean, just to be on the safe side, once we even got into our 50s, we thought it was highly unlikely, and it didn't seem like it would be possible, but we kept praying even then. And now you show up now, and I mean, how can you be sure about this? Because I think you're too late. I think you missed it. And the angel says to him, he goes, you want to know how I, do you realize who you're talking to? You're talking to an angel. Sometimes I feel like we have to say that to each other. Do you know who you're praying to? Do you know who you're speaking to? Angel says to him, I'm Gabriel. He goes, look, I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and tell you some good news. And now you're going to be silent. You're not going to be able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true. Here is such a message for us this morning. Which will come true at their appointed time. At their, their appointed time. Well, wait a minute. So you mean, Gabriel, that there's a plan here? 
I mean, Gabriel, you mean that this delay, right? The 400 years since we've heard a word. You, you realize you, God was in charge. Of God, God purposely didn't, ha- didn't send anything. Nothing, God was in charge. Nothing happened. You mean to say, Gabriel, that all of the conquerors, all of the losses, the desecration of the temple, you mean to say that God waited through all of that on purpose because there's a reason for it? You mean that God has seen the wars, he's seen the bombings, he's seen it all unwinding, but even though he's been quiet, unseen, and not heard from, you mean he's still interested and active and he's been hearing all of these prayers and their prayers and my prayers and Zechariah and Gabriel looks at him and goes, yeah. You know, the scripture says, it talks a lot about the appointed hours. Jesus says, I don't know the appointed hour of my own return. You know, scripture also says that you were born at precisely the appointed hour so that you would come, the best chance you would ever have to come into a relationship with God was based on when you were born, an appointed hour. At the appointed hour. At the appointed hour. Luke goes on, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. And I love this. Look what Elizabeth says. The Lord has done this for me. In these days, he's shown his favor and he's taken away my disgrace among the people. At the appointed hour, the Lord will remove disgrace and bring upon you his grace. At the appointed hour. And this is the beginning of the great story. This is the beginning of your manger scene. This is the beginning of what we're, we're fighting. Some of us are fighting so hard to keep in front of the town hall. This is the beginning of that story. For all of those who had hoped, for all of those who had believed, for all of those who had been waiting, but nonetheless, never seen it, never seen it. Generation after generation handed it down to their children. Their children lived blameless and upright and holy. Never saw it. Generation after generation. This is the culmination of their story. They were faithful. And at the appointed hour, at the appointed time. Luke 1, 26 to 27, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, same angel, right, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. This is your story. It's our quandary. We find ourselves wrestling with it. I do. I mean, do I continue to serve or do I continue to do this or should I go do something else? Do I continue to to sacrifice and to give or should I just go get a bigger house? I I mean, should I stay in this tough marriage? I I don't think God wants me to be happy, but should I stay in this uh, tough marriage even though I don't even love this person anymore or should I move on? Do I take her home with me tonight? No one's really going to know. Even if I do, I'm sure she'll stay quiet. Or should I just stay home? When the police show up at the door, when my kid doesn't come home tonight or ever again, do I believe in a plan? Do I think that there's a hope? Do I, do I understand there might be an appointed hour? Or do I believe it's all just random and out of control when I watch my enemies, when I watch good just seem to triumph over evil, do I just, do I abandon the whole thing? Do I come up with silly political answers to, to deep, troubling questions? Or do I double down on my faith? Or do I just give up and do what everyone else does and just say, forget it? Do we watch the stuff on TV? Do you watch the stuff play out in your own life and say, there's no hope? Because maybe you're ready to give up hope. Maybe you're tired of how it's played itself out. You're tired of being honest and always getting stuck. You're tired of 
trying to be generous and people taking advantage of you. You're tired of, uh, of being chased even though the whole world says you're a fool. You're tired of being with him or with her even though they're not making you happy. You're tired of being the good guy when nobody seems to care. In fact, everybody's telling you to give up on it. It's a fairy tale. And heck, if I'm honest, I don't even know anymore because I thought it was real. I, I thought this, the stuff I believe was real, but if I'm honest, I'm not even sure anymore. It doesn't seem to be working for me. It doesn't seem to be coming through for me. I, I think if I'm honest, it's too late for me. My kids, I'm older. They don't speak. My husband, you know, we haven't, we haven't made love in years. I think this relationship is beyond uh, fixing. I, I, I've got this addiction. I've been struggling with it forever. At this point, it's too late. But in the history of the follower of God, there's always a remnant. There's always a few who decide that despite what they see, despite what their experiences are, they're going to remain faithful to God, even though he doesn't seem to be doing anything for them in the meantime. So if that's your experience this morning, if that's your dilemma this morning, you know what I say to you? Welcome to the human condition, because this is your story. This is the story of those who have followed God for millennia. It is the common experience of those who have placed their trust in Christ, despite what we often see surrounding ourselves. Welcome to the world of Zachariah and Elizabeth, who say, you know what? We are still, we are going to be choose to be faithful, despite the fact we can't even imagine. It doesn't make any sense that God could fix this. We lost all our power in our land and our armies, and my wife is, is way, way, way past when she could have a baby. We're still going to believe. I don't understand how it's going to work, but we're still going to choose to believe that God is going to give us a child and that Israel is still going to be a blessing to the whole world, the thrill of hope. The good news is, it's normal. Your pastor gets to places where he goes, wow, are you still there? Here's the challenge for you and I. This Christmas, the challenge is, will you choose, will you make a very conscious decision to be part of the ancient historical remnant? I said, you know what? Everything I see is not all that there is. I still think he's in charge. I still think he's good. I still think he loves. I still hope. Will you as a young person, will you say, you know what, I know everybody says I should go be and do whatever everybody else is saying to be and do. It doesn't matter who I sleep with. Sex is just sex. Will you as a spouse who says this marriage is broken, it can't get fixed, I don't even like him anymore, as a business person, as somebody who just keeps losing out because you keep, don't, you don't want to play the political games, you don't want to stab someone in the back, maybe you say, I got to be home with my wife and kids. Will you step up this Christmas and say, I'm still part of the remnant? I still hope. I still believe. Christmas is a reminder that your faith is not misplaced. Christmas is a reminder. That even when God is still, it doesn't mean he's not disinterested. It's a reminder that God can still choose, despite what it looks like in your life, to do anything he pleases. And best of all, it is a reminder that your faith and your hope is not in vain. You'll see him again. The marriage can get fixed. There's other jobs out there. Your faith is not in vain. The band's going to come up as they do. I just want to show you. You know, 
Oh Holy Night, written by this French poet, right? It's just, it just nails this song. And there's this line in the song, right? Long lay the world. We're going to sing this on Christmas Eve like we've never sang it before. Long lay the world for a long time, for hundreds of years, waiting and waiting in sin and error, pining, right? You know, it's like the old word that you'd use for a girl, I pine for her. The people of God pined for him, waited expectantly. Christmas is the reminder that our longing and waiting and agonizing is not in vain. Your God, your faith in God is not misplaced. Listen to me. God will keep every one of his promises to you at the appointed time. Lord, this Christmas, when so many things seem out of control, when I know that so many people have been hurt and experienced loss, and when we turn on a TV and we go, how, how now shall we live, Lord? Because the way you're calling us to live, to love our enemies, in this world it seems a little crazy, Lord. Father, would you lift up in our eyes the faith of Zechariah and Elizabeth who say to us, I choose this Christmas to be the part of the remnant that still believes. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing as we close.